0: This is the Happy Are You Poor? podcast, discussing topics related to radical Catholic community. This is your host, Malcolm Schlenderfritz, and joining me today is Peter Land from Philadelphia. Hello, Peter. How are you doing?
1: Hey, Malcolm. I'm doing well, thanks. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Our topic for today is consoling the heart of Jesus, um, in particular the book of that name by Father Michael Gately, M-I-C, but also the general concept of our goal in the spiritual life of loving the Lord. And I thought I'd talk start by talking a little bit about my personal experience with this book. Um, I, I first read it as a young adult, and up until I'd read that book, I'd really fallen into kind of a dark place in my spiritual life uh, for the past several years, for quite a long time, I had fallen into a lot of scrupulosity, and it had really derived from the fact that I saw the spiritual life as sort of a self-improvement project, you know, that I was working really hard at um, improving myself and perfecting myself in a virtuous manner so that I would merit God's love, so that eventually I would deserve God's love if I could just behave perfectly. And of course, the problem is, is that it's impossible to behave perfectly for fallen human beings, especially starting out with that mindset. And so um, eventually, I just didn't want to think about God at all, because all I could think about when I thought of God was, you know, all my failure. I saw him in a very um, judgmental, negative way. And so I pretty much gave up. Uh, you know, I kept going through all the motions. I was even going to daily mass uh, confession every month and saying the rosary daily with my family, all the outward motions, but I was kind of figuring, well, you know, like this just isn't getting anymore. I'm never going to be a saint. Um, It's just, it's just too much. And, and really, of course, scrupulosity is, is sort of a mental affliction and it's really hard for those who are afflicted with it. But It helped them to realize that it's actually a subtle kind of pride. It's a focus on oneself instead of on the Lord, Um, a a focus inwards instead of outwards. So I had a very inward looking spirituality. Everything in the spiritual life was in reference to me. I was worried about my personal salvation, the state of my soul. And then my uh, mother found this book and recommended that I read it, and I had a certain amount of internal resistance because I didn't want to uh, think about trying to be a saint, which I already decided I couldn't do, and, uh, you know, I just didn't want to do it. And initially, I was actually sort of repelled by the book. It seemed too simple, too happy. But I, you know, tried to make a go of it. Read It's really a guided meditation, so over the course of a couple of weeks, I went through the the guided meditations and considerations in the book. And what I found was a spirituality that's focused outwards on the Lord, on his great love and how much he desires us to come to him, even if we're sinful and weak, and how much we sadden him by not trusting him enough to come to him as we are. And I was really moved. I was finally able to set aside all of those worries, all those scruples, and realize that even though I'm far from perfect, that doesn't stop me from having a relationship with God. That if only the perfect could have a relationship with Christ, that would mean that only uh, our Blessed Lady could have a relationship with Him, and no one else, because we're all terribly imperfect. And that is no hindrance. He came for the sinners. He came to call the weak. And and that was such a very consoling, very inspiring, and very outward. Focused uh, spirituality. And then also the the dimension of really focusing also on a love of other people instead of uh, an inward focus on oneself.
1: A quote that comes to mind, Malcolm, is from St. John the Baptist in the Gospel, where he says, He must increase and I must decrease. I think a lot of people in the Catholic world, especially young adults, suffer from that scrupulosity that you mentioned that you had in your own life, this idea or need that we need to be a certain way before we can um, experience God's love or um, before we can come and and be in his presence, like as if we need to make ourselves pure in order to be worthy of his love and earn any place in heaven. And I think it's... um, it's quite tragic because the gospel is almost the, the opposite of that. Um, I know I, I've struggled a little bit with that. And, but at the same time, as I grew in my faith, I came from a place of brokenness and desire for affection and affirmation and finding that human beings couldn't offer me that, um, that human beings' love was often fickle and constantly changing and that i was i I was left empty and in need of something greater than what other people could give me and so like out of that place of emptiness i began to seek from from the depths of my heart um what is true and what is good um and the love of god i mean ultimately that was a, a long journey and a long discovery but I would say, um, one of, one of the major obstacles for me was learning to, or, or breakthroughs was learning to accept myself as I am, as I was in all my, in all my brokenness, in all my, um, faults and, and failures and defects. You know, just coming, coming to accept that God loves me, that I'm okay as I am. Those, that was, quite, um, incredible to experience because I think in America, we're, we're constantly being measured by others and by social expectations. And so I think we often feel like we don't measure up or that we're not good enough. Um, people may abandon us for another person who seems better. Um, so I, I think this is a a beautiful topic for today is to talk about you know this this close union that Jesus desires with us in the midst of our sinfulness and neediness and how in that union he's the one who makes us um pure and holy and um cleanses us but also rejoices in our fellowship.
0: Yes that idea that To gain love, we have to be perfect. It affects our human relationships as well in a very negative way. I was reading a psychological study that talked about how many children end up, you know, they might have really loving parents, but the child starts to imagine that they have to perform perfectly to win their parents' love when really their parent is actually going to love them no matter what. And, and the child starts imagining that they have to be constantly putting on an act to gain love. And that, of course, can unfortunately sometimes actually be the way it is with human beings. But with Christ, that's not the way in, in the scriptures and in history we see that people come to him first and become saints afterwards. But in, in certain circles in the church, there's almost an idea that you become a saint and then you go to God. I don't remember who it was someone was saying of course we'd like to think that we could perfect ourselves and then show the final perfect project to God you know look what I did aren't you impressed you know well god isn't going to be impressed uh somewhere in, i think it's in the psalms it's in the psalms anyway it's, it's an old testament quote where he says that all of our righteousness even all of our goodness is as filthy rags before god that god isn't going to be impressed by how together we are and it, that that's just before um, the coronavirus pandemic shut everything down, I was lucky to be able to go to a live retreat hosted by Father Michael Gately. And he was talking largely about the themes in the book. And he had this quote, which I really like, which isn't actually in the book, but is summing up a lot of the themes. That in the spiritual life, um, effort is absolutely essential, but absolutely useless. And what he meant by that is that we can't imagine that this idea of being accepted as we are means that we can just keep um, being okay with our sinfulness. Christ wants to see us healed and to see us whole from our broken ways, and we should too, but that if we think that our effort is actually ultimately what's going to get us into heaven, then we're Pelagians, where you think we can do it, that we have to keep striving because God wants us to, but that it's his grace ultimately that Brings us to perfection, that we have to keep cooperating, but being who we are, we will not be able to cooperate perfectly, and that's okay. We just have to keep trying. We have, as as someone once put it, Christianity is the religion of of showing up. We have to keep showing up, and if we keep showing up all our lives, eventually we will make it. The in one sense, the the dying thief on the cross who lived a terrible life and said, Lord. I know that I deserve this. I'm a sinner. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He, in one sense, is the archetypical Christian. He doesn't depend on his merits, he depends on Christ. And that when we come to Christ, then Christ can make us saints. So it's the other way around from the way some Christians have come to see this.
1: Yeah, wow. Great points, Malcolm. Um, What comes to mind is. Uh, a saying that I remember reading about where the Lord is speaking to a particular religious sister, telling her that the value of our lives does not consist um, in the greatness of our good works or even um, the generosity we show to others, but rather in using our, our generosity, our time, our effort, To allow him to transform our lives. So the idea was um, there's an important role for our our will to play and our efforts to play in letting Christ into our our hearts and our souls. And as we do so, he begins to transform the interior and make us more and more like himself. it's, It's a great reminder for us like, yes, we have to, there is a necessary cooperation that is required of us to work with God's grace. And at the same time, we're called to accept ourselves in our limitations, and our weakness, but still continue to strive amidst this beautiful cloud of witnesses and the saints of God strive for holiness and sanctity. As St. Paul says, um, let us rid ourselves of every encumbrance and the sin that clings to us, um, and persevere in running the race that is set before us. That, to me, it's such a beautiful statement, because it does, it shows that, you know, God almost, yeah, he invites our cooperation, he, it's almost like he needs our cooperation to sanctify us. He, he saves us without our effort, but he does not sanctify us without our cooperation. So I, I, um, I think that it's a, it's a beautiful dynamic seeing how, how much we're involved in crafting the destiny of our own lives, even though it's God who inspires that and brings it to fulfillment. Who is the source and, um, end of, of the whole process. It shows you, I mean, it's really beautiful to think about this close union that we really share with God in this process.
0: That we can be cooperators, that, that God elevated our dignity so much that he wasn't just going to do everything for us, that we're, we're allowed the privilege of participating in this project. I mean, he doesn't need us. I think, I think that's where people get hung up. They think, like, what is going to happen, you know, if, if, uh, if I don't get this right? What happens if I make a mistake? What happens if I say the wrong thing to someone or do, it's like, God doesn't need us. And God can bring, God will only allow what he can bring good out of. So when, uh, it was some, it was some private revelation where Christ told the mystic to bring her sins to him. And she said, why am I And he said, that's the only thing that's really yours. You know, like. Uh we, you know, we aren't going to be able to contribute, like in, in and of ourselves, we aren't going to be able to contribute anything to God's almighty power. And yet he allows us to work with him, even in our weakness. It's the Feast of St. Paul and St. Paul's famous line that my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm-hmm. That St. Paul had some kind of struggle, some kind of problem. We don't know exactly what it was, but he asked God to take it away. He'd be so much more effective at working for God. If he didn't have this problem, whatever it was, and Christ said no, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Father Gately is drawing a lot on tres of Lisieux, her little way, and that's the little way is a really important thing because we can often look at the saints and they seem so far above us. I mean, you know, they're they're fasting for forty days or. Uh, living on bread and water, working miracles, flying through the air, whatever. And, and we look at these kind of superhero figures and think, oh, you know, like, there's not a chance for me. I guess I'm destined to be a mediocre Christian. Maybe I can scrape through purgatory if I'm lucky, you know. And the little way is the opposite. The little way is that we realize that we're small. And we realize that it's in our smallness and weakness that God loves us. Uh, God loves the fact that we can trust ourselves as little children to his care. And realize that we can't do it for ourselves. I mean, think of how a parent would be hurt if some child said, um, Mom and Dad, I'm sufficient. I don't want anything from you. I'm going to go and do it my own. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to I'm going to leave the home and go and forge my own path in the world. And for one thing, the parents would realize that the child is going to get into a world of trouble by himself. But even let's say he wasn't. Let's say he really was that self-sufficient character. Uh, it would still be heartbreaking because he wouldn't he wouldn't accept aid from others. So Saint Therese realized that it was actually her smallness, her weakness, her brokenness that attracted the love of God. Whereas if one has a prideful, I'll do it my own way attitude, it would actually wall off the grace of God from being able to work.
1: I think it's quite fitting we're speaking on the feast day of the conversion of St. Paul. And one of the thoughts that I I had as you were speaking was how St. Paul had this encounter with, with God, with, with Jesus. And this encounter led him to experience the mercy of Jesus on him. And he says somewhere in one of his letters, like, don't you know that the mercy and the and the loving kindness of our God is meant to lead us to repentance? Um, And, it, and it's quite clear in, in the life of St. Paul, like how this how this encounter with Christ, even though it may have been painful at first to realize how off he was in the in the life he was living. That he was actually persecuting the God he thought he was serving. Um, despite the pain, I'm sure in that, in the midst of that pain, he, he realized the enormity of God's love and mercy that, that wiped away his mistakes and his false zeal and invited him to, to serve him so that this encounter changed the course of his whole life radically. And then he devoted himself and all his energy to proclaiming this mercy and, and spreading it abroad. So I think he's such a great example of what, what we're speaking of in, um, in coming to accept ourselves, but also at the same time, accept ourselves in light of God's mercy, our, our, our past failings and faults, but in light of that mercy, to not be afraid to, to go forward and to serve, our God and and get rid of everything that may, may come in the way of that. And then to, to move on, like to touch on St. Therese, so beautiful. Um, I'm just, I I just think of humility, you know, versus self-sufficiency. We've talked about this before, I think, Malcolm, but no man is an Island. God did not create us to be self-sufficient. And we can, I think we can continue to operate under that illusion at times, especially in, modern 21st century America where we have all these gadgets that allow us to to um, operate under that illusion. You know, we like we don't often need a lot of other people when we have everything that we need for our daily life. But with St. Therese, um, seeing her littleness humbled herself enough um, so that she wasn't she she acknowledged the truth of her being. That she was not this um, great, mighty soul that was able to climb mountains, like sometimes how the saints are presented to us, how they appear. But I guess in that littleness, she um, she was not afraid. I, I think that's a, a word that comes to me. She was not afraid to lean on the heart of her Savior, like St. John the Apostle at the Last Supper. And, and to trust in him, to do, to trust that he would enable her to do what she needed to do, but that of her own efforts that she, she would fail. So I think it's, yeah, it's quite fitting to, to look at Saint Therese and light of Saint Paul and to continue. Um, yeah, I don't know, to, to move more deeply into this, this kind of relational dependence that is that is ultimately positive, that enables us to become who we are. Uh, One of the things that comes to me is how, when we develop a relationship with somebody we really love and somebody we really admire, that person's um, example and their heart really rub off on us in, in so many good ways. Like there's so many positive effects to being in the company of a great person, of somebody we really respect and admire. Like their how they conduct themselves, how they treat us. It's like all of a sudden their example begins to not only rub off on us, but become a part of us. And it when we allow it to, and and inform how we are, how we conduct ourselves with others. And I think you know as much as that happens on that human to human level, um, how much more does that happen with Christ? You know, when we experience his love, his mercy, his friendship, how much he rejoices in our company, it encourages us to do the same to others. And that's been my experience is um, if Christ rejoices in being with me and and that there's no agenda often attached to that, I'm encouraged to, to do that with others, you know, like just to rejoice, to be in somebody's presence, to let them be heard, to let them be known. Which is I think so often what's lacking in the world and what we do not have in our human relationships
0: Peter, that's a really wonderful thing because I know I often struggle with that about doing things that don't have um an agenda. Uh, I remember a spiritual writer said that we're we're a funny we're funny beings we we might want to take a walk just because it's it's a good thing to take a walk but we have to we have to say it's for some reason we have to say well i'm taking a walk because i need exercise like we, everything we do has kind of like a a, a for what attached mm-hmm. and the ultimate things are for themselves that the the ultimate good some things are desired as means to others and some things are desired for themselves the things that are desired as means, are to get us to those ultimate things. And the love of God is a thing that's desired for itself, happiness. Aristotle even talked about this, that the the ultimate things are wanted for themselves. But we tend to be, I think especially at Americans with our ideas of efficiency, we tend to be suspicious of things that are just for themselves. You know, we're talking to somebody, uh, I don't know, to save their souls. We're taking a walk because we need exercise. We're listening to uh, music to cultivate our minds. We're, we're always doing something for something else. And of course, there are many things that we have to do for, uh, for something else. But if everything becomes that way, then what is anything for? If everything is for something else, then we're in this endless cycle that we can't break out of. And the love of God is for nothing. And his love to us is given for nothing. There's no reason. like There's nothing actually that would make uh, him love us. And then um, you brought up the past. And that's, that's also really key because I know I've struggled terribly with the idea that I've made mistakes in the past. There are all these things like, how could I ever, you can never set them right. The past is gone. And I think this is going to draw into the heart of Father Gately's message where he says, So our spirituality should be about consoling the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus is sorrowful because he is not loved. He desires our love with it, with an intense desire that we couldn't even imagine. And what he especially desires is our trust and our thanks. Because he know he wants the good for us. And we're always suspicious. We always sort of feel that he probably doesn't, that you know, we better do it for ourselves because he doesn't really have our best interests in mind. And that really hurts him. Just like that, those parents with that child who won't trust, won't accept. And and part of trust is being thankful, thankful for everything, because to to trust that he will only allow the good to happen to us, hard as it may be to see that sometimes, and that even includes the past, to thank him for exactly where we are right now and all the steps, all the the terrible things that may have led us up to this present moment, because we don't know the end of the story yet, but we can see in the scriptures that Christ came and died on the cross and he died because human beings rejected him and killed him uh, the greatest sin that ever was and out of that sin Christ brought the salvation of the world so that if we have this inflated idea of our own importance we'll think that like ah my failures i've messed it up but we we have to trust that even out of our failures god will bring good for ourselves and for everyone else That he only allows evil that good may come. That if there was no good to bring out of that evil, he wouldn't have allowed it. So as some spiritual writer once said, we have to sit down right now and thank God for exactly who we are, what we are, everything that we are right at this moment with all of our sins and brokenness. And then we have to desire and work to be a canonizable saint in the next 15 minutes. At the end of the 15 minutes, we'll find we're not canonizable saints. So we thank him for the last 15 minutes for exactly who we are right at this moment, because since he allowed it, it must be ultimately for our good. And then we set out to try to become a canonizable saint by the end of the next 15 minutes. And so this this trust that we have to give is the way to console his heart. That and then extending, because he's extended such mercy to us, extending mercy and love to all those around us giving back what we have received. Because if we just accepted his mercy for ourselves, we wouldn't have fully accepted it. He gives so much that it has to overflow. We have to be able to allow ourselves to look out on those others in all their sinfulness and weakness and failures with that same mercy, that same love and acceptance that we've been given.
1: Yeah, beautiful, Malcolm. To go back just just for a moment to... Something we were touching on, um, the beauty of being in love and how love makes all things beautiful. I was thinking of how in love everything tends to become an end in and of itself. We can use the analogy of of two human lovers, you know people who have fallen in love with them with each other and simply rejoice to do things just because they're in they're in each other's company you know it doesn't matter so much about what they're actually doing going for a walk um, traveling having a meal doing really nothing maybe just sitting each other's company and not even having to speak but simply rejoicing to be in the other's company and feeling loved in the, in the presence of that person, feeling loved, affirmed, whole, something that love allows us to experience even on that human scale. And I, I, you know, it makes me think of obviously our relationship with our savior and how in the presence of his love, what maybe used to be a means all of a sudden becomes an end. You know, you were talking uh, beautifully about that kind of dynamic of means, how often we do things as means. But I think what the saints who are so much in love with Jesus reveal to us that a, he's always in our presence. And so is his love. And so that we can walk continually, no matter what we're doing and what's being asked of us, we can walk continually in his loving presence and do things with love. As uh, I think it might have been St. Teresa said, it's not so much the greatness of our actions that matters before God. It is the greatness of our love, the greatness of the love with which we carry out every little thing that we do in our lives. And to me, that's so inspiring, you know, whether it's cleaning a toilet, it, it like it glorifies like every aspect of human life. I mean, it just, it, it brings an added component that nothing is, nothing is wasted in God's presence and in God's sight. And everything ha, ha, becomes a means to, um, experiencing his love and sharing, sharing the graces of his mercy on us with others and with the world, whether we're in their company or not, because of the mystical body of Christ. So I think that's just a great point because sometimes Life can, uh, you know, we look at the lives of the saints and it seems like they had um, this extraordinary adventure and that they did so many great things. And we look at our lives and, and we rarely even come close to measuring up to something like that. But God gives us um, like the, the little things of our everyday life that we can continually offer to him, that we continue we can continue to do with great love and to you know to move on like how much he rejoices in in that you know he rejoices to be in our company like he made us but so that we might belong to him and it's almost like he he needs us he desires us you know it's like something's missing without us in his most sacred heart and that's really incredible to think like I know you pointed out earlier, Malcolm, like obviously God does not have need of anything we can offer him, but he created us in this way in that he longs and desires for us to be united to him and continues to seek us out until we are like that uh, good shepherd. You know, even if one is lost, it's like he can't rest until that one is found and brought back like the prodigal son, like his eyes are just looking and waiting for us to, to come to our senses and return to him. And that's, that brings me to another point that I was thinking of, is that how, how important it is for us to come to our senses, like the prodigal son, you know, to become aware of, of ourselves, become aware, like to take time to not only examine our life, but to to reflect on who we are and and in, and in lacking a relationship with God I think we can often see how miserable we we become you know how self-focused how selfish we are how prideful vain you know you name it it's it might be hard for us to admit these things but we all share them in common and I think one of the keys is like wow we need to become aware of our need for God and our need for mercy. And I think part of our culture continually distracts us from those from that self-awareness that we're called into. Even you mentioned Aristotle, Socrates, how he says the unexamined life is not worth living. And in so many ways I guess that's the danger of our time is that we can live and unexamined life. We can continue to distract ourselves, entertain ourselves. You know, it's one of the blessings, I think, of what COVID is offering us right now, is it's almost like forcing us in a way to slow down, to not have so many options before us in terms of how we might spend our time, and to simply have to sit with ourselves more and more. And hopefully not sit simply with ourselves, but with others but also with God you know to allow God into our presence and into our company so i think you know it kind of goes back to this encounter with mercy that changes us that leads us to um repentance to leads us that leads us to have gratitude that beautiful point you brought up like trust and gratitude like Wow, yeah, we are miserable, but mercy meets us in our misery like that thief on the cross and calls us, you know, from the depths of his love to the depths of our heart, calls us to trust in his love and his mercy. And the greatest example of that is Jesus on the cross himself. Like, wow, I, Jesus, you, you suffered, you died for us. This is a living testimony of how much you love us that you went to the cross for each and every one of us you love this so much that you were willing to lay down our your life for us before we even appreciated it and and so that we can always look to the cross and be like wow like this is how much our savior loves us and this is how much i'm forgiven you know that this precious divine blood um, washes away anything that could separate me from him.
0: As St. Paul said, uh, while we were yet unrighteous, Christ died for us. That, uh, you know, um, maybe for a good man, someone might be found to die, but that Christ died for us while we were still his enemies. That he didn't wait for us to move. He came. I remember Father Father Goronsky wrote a book about the spiritual life in which he said that all other religions are where man seeks for God. Christianity is where God seeks for man. He brought up that point about although, even though he doesn't need us, he made himself need us. You know, Aristotle thought that man and God couldn't be friends because man needed God, but God didn't need anything in return. There, we couldn't exchange gifts. That friendship of any sort is an exchange of gifts. And God didn't need us. And that's true before the incarnation. But Christ came so that he would need us. And that, Father Gailey talks about, like, how can we think that we can console Christ? I mean, isn't he happy in heaven? I mean, how could we add to his happiness? And the thing is that because Christ's life happened at a particular point in time, and yet at the same time he is eternal, we can console his sorrow during his earthly life and his rejection, that, in, in one sense, there's a tradition that in the agony in the garden, when the angel came to strengthen him, uh, he was shown all those who would love him, all those who would give themselves to him uh, in times to come, that are somehow we can actually be present to him during his earthly life as much as if we'd actually lived there almost 2,000 years ago, because there is no time with God. And you and also brought up that point about how those who love just want to be with the other. And that includes just as the other is. When, when we love another person, we can share with them things that we wouldn't share with a, a stranger. Our weaknesses, our feelings, our idiosyncrasies. And yet we often think we can't do that with God. We think we have to put on a pretty face for God. We have to, you know, impress him somehow we metaphorically have to put on our best clothes and and approach him in just the right way and and be very formal and only present the good to him and and say things we don't really mean you know like let's say we're we're really not feeling like we love him much at all but we say oh you know god i love you above all things in a rote kind of way and cs lewis pointed out that there can be a danger in that that actually it's best to be honest with god because he already knows there's no use hiding it say Lord, I, I want to love you, but I'm finding it really hard. I'm going to trust you enough to show you what I really am, knowing that you already know it, knowing that I can't shock you. I can't surprise you. Here I am. I You you, you touched on the point that we have to realize our need. And sometimes uh, in prayer is somehow the last place that we can, can bring that realization home. We have to be able to say, Lord, I really, I really am in trouble. And uh Father Gately, towards the beginning of the book, he talks about various obstacles that could keep us from coming to Christ in simplicity and trust. Mm. And he talked about attachments. You know, we hear a lot about detachment, uh, especially he's covering the Ignatian exercises. We're supposed to be detached. He uses a funny example of donuts. He said, let's say we're attached to donuts. Um, and so we might, you know, use a lot of willpower and say, okay, I'm going to detach myself from these donuts that I can go to the Lord. Well, by using our own willpower, we're probably not going to get very far. And if we do manage to detach ourselves from donuts, he says something else will fill the void, you know? So he said, Christ doesn't say, you know, leave those donuts before you can come to me. He says, if you can just, you know, even if you have to hang on to the donuts with the other hand, give me your free hand. And then there we are, the two of us together. You're still hanging on to those donuts. And eventually, I'll help you drop the donuts when I'm ready for that to happen. You can't probably drop the donuts or whatever they are by yourself. But I don't care how many donuts you're hanging on to so long as you'll come over here. And then Father Gailey says, and if the thing really needs to go, if we just come to him and say, you know, here I am with the donuts, he, suddenly he'll make us let them go. If he doesn't make us let go, well, then, you know, we have to just keep trying, keep coming to the doors, and eventually, in his own good time, we will get loose. But because a certain kind of spirituality emphasizes the detachment side of it first, it's like, well, I've got to detach myself from all these things before God wants to see me. and And that's so counterproductive, so backwards to the way it actually works.
1: Yeah, beautiful thought, Malcolm. It's, it's, it goes back to that idea that in, in light of God's mercy and grace, um, we're enabled to let go of things that on our own we cling to, the sin that, that clings to us so closely. It is really, it, it changes everything because on one hand, there, there's a recognition, and I think AA does this really well, a recognition that on my own, I can't overcome this ad- addiction and really, when we, when we speak of attachments, often they are very much like addictions. I think it's an important point for us to realize in America that we are addicted to so many different things. We often think of alcoholism and, and drugs as like the primary source of addiction and that most of us don't have any serious issues with, with addiction, but um, shopping is an addiction gambling, sports. There are so many things in which we are really um, addicted to. And I think that's what happens when there's a void in our hearts. We just inevitably, inevitably become addicted to the things that we enjoy, that are pleasurable to us and are not able to free ourselves from them on our own efforts. I was thinking of this quote as you were talking of St. Paul, God has imprisoned all in disobedience so that he might have mercy on all. God has imprisoned all in disobedience. So we all have rebellious hearts. No no one is free from this condition of rebelling against God's will and God's laws. Like we all, like he, God has allowed that, so that we might encounter his love and mercy. It's really incredible to think about. Like, our disobedience in various ways, which, you know, results in in various forms of addictions, attachments, becomes the very means for us. And and this goes back to your point that God brings good out of all things. But in a particular way, those things that to us seem, seem really negative it's it's in the very midst of those things that we come to encounter our need for God and the the mercy that makes us new. And AA, I mean, it's incredible the the experiences how it's impacted various people by by leading them to that recognition that their need they need to have a power greater than themselves that releases them from these attachments and. What's beautiful is that, at least in my experience, they begin to drop away as if they were nothing at all. They were like, this is like nothing, like it no longer has power over me in light of the presence of something that's greater, of one who is greater. So it's, you know, there's a lot that, that you brought up. You know, I was thinking of um, on the way to Calvary, I think how Jesus spoke to St. Faustina and told her that how he was consoled on the way by hearts that that drew close to him that hearts that trusted in his love and were grateful for his sacrifice you know having that human heart that could be consoled um and then his appearance to saint margaret mary and how he said behold this heart which has so loved men but which has received so little in return you know that ought to make us that ought to pain give bring pain to our hearts wow how little jesus is loved by the hearts of men i you know i know i remember reading in genesis you know how god repented of making man or or was so grieved in his heart for the wickedness of men that he was um almost like questioning his, you know, creating man in the first place. And, but then Noah found favor in his sight. And it's like, wow, like we can all, we can all be that Noah in the midst of this like wicked and corrupt world in which we live, you know, through our trust, through our love, we can find favor and, and, and bring consolation to this God who, in the incarnation, makes himself needy for our love and dependent dependent on us in a certain way, you know, as a child that grows and participates in all aspects of human um, life. I mean, even just think of the Jesus in the tabernacle and how lonely at times he must be, you know, with so few visitors. But I, I also see that as, a, as an analogy and a symbol of Christ dwelling in our hearts, in the tabernacle of our hearts, and who among us is, is making frequent visits to his presence within us. You know, it's kind of like our visits to him in the Blessed Sacrament um, become an analogy for our, our, our recognition of his presence within us. Um, and to us, so I think, um, even though we we may not always be able to go to the to the Blessed Sacrament, we he he dwells in the tabernacle of our hearts and is waiting there, like he is in the tabernacle of churches, to for us to come to him, and to just lay out our lives and to lay out um, our struggles to to speak to him as a friend, as one who rejoices to hear from us everything that that we wish to share you know I, I i know i find that with my friends like i'm humbled when they just open up to me and when they just share with me what they, what's on their heart when when it goes beyond the superficial and gets into the depth of life that to me is um it makes me honor and value their friendship all the more when it's like when when there's not a lot of pretense And when there's not a lot of um, covering up, but when there's when there's vulnerability and transparency with with each other, it like it just it kind of almost unites our hearts. And so I I think I see that happening with our Savior, like how much he longs for that with us and how simple it is. You know, it's not this complicated affair. You know, it's not like we need to come to him with all these beautifully written prayers and some kind of formula and agenda in order to for him to hear us. And that's the beauty of the little way of Saint Thérèse. Wow, like we can just come to us, come to him in our littleness, in our maybe fumbling of words, we don't know, we we may not know what to speak, but that like as a as a little one in the presence of one whom we love, we can just we can be ourselves and we can speak freely. And Gosh, we can all do that, can't we, Malcolm, on some level?
0: Peter, I think one of the things that really can keep us from approaching Christ with that kind of humility is actually our judgments of other people. You know, you, you brought up um, addictions and how most of us feel like that's somebody else's problem. And I remember one of the most transformative moments in my life, you know, I, I'd been I'd been brought up in a, in a kind of a, a nice, you know, safe setting, and bad people were those people out there, you know, um, and that could be a danger. I think, especially for those with a, a middle class kind of background, and and I went to work with Christ in the City for morning uh, serving a lunch in the park to the homeless here in Denver. And so here, you know, like there were several hundred people that we were handing out and it was really weighing on me, kind of all the, the brokenness, the, the despair, the, the problems of all these people. And on my bus ride home, it just suddenly struck me that like I was no better than they were, that they had you know Christ in the city estimates that something like half to uh say seventy percent of homeless people have an addiction, even though they estimate that on a lot less of those cases is the addiction the reason they're homeless um since a lot of non homeless people have addictions as well, and that they had they had become addicted to something that was socially reprehensible whether it was alcohol or hard drugs something that had broken their lives you know and, and made them and made them obviously in trouble but that i was similarly attached to all sorts of more respectable things that weren't going to land me on the street but that just like them i like the the bad choices i'd made were in the same way bad choices and only by the grace of god and because of my better social Um, setting, did my bad choices not lead me to make an obvious wreck of my life? That, in other words, to God, whether one actually makes a a wreck of one's material life doesn't matter as much. What matters is the inward sin, the turning away, the attachment to something else, and just kind of the the staggeringness of this sudden realization. And yet, it can also be freeing because... If one is seeing oneself as you know like the good, upstanding, respectable person, one will we'll have to keep that act on even when one's in front of God. When one realizes, wow, you know, I'm I'm really in trouble. <laughs> Which like that's that's the one redeeming aspect of these really broken, down people is that they often do realize that. They often do realize that, wow, I'm in trouble. I need help. I need help from other people, I need help from God. And for those who are kind of more respectable-looking, it can be harder to realize, and that is a theme all through the Gospel, the Pharisee. The Pharisee was respectable and upright, and followed the law, and looked down on all those dismal people who didn't follow the law. And then they were really shocked when Christ came and seemed to favor those people who were obvious failures. Simply because the Pharisee, couldn't accept mercy because the Pharisee wouldn't admit that there was anything wrong with him. And the danger of the Pharisee is always the danger of the Christian. I mean, obviously, like there's, there's many evils out in the world. You can go and be a terrible hedonist. But there's an even more subtle trap for the, the upright Christian who is not a hedonist, because he can become the Pharisee. And if we're going to take the gospel seriously, the hedonist's We'll go into the kingdom of God before the self-righteous Christian. We can replicate that pharisaical mentality that I am good or my group is good and that those guys are bad. When the the truth of the matter is that we're all bad just in different ways. And Father Gately in, in his book brings up the Jansenists. And Jansenism still affects the church in in certain aspects. Jansenism was the idea that God is is hard and unloving, that we have to do really well. And usually the Jansenist ends up hanging around with other Jansenists, um, you know, thinking of themselves as better because they keep a lot of complicated rules. um, When really the rules won't save you, as St. Paul again said, the law won't save you. Only the mercy of God will save anyone, and that doesn't mean we have, can break all the rules. You know, thanks be to God if we're able to keep the rules. We should we should only strive to keep God's rules. But once we depend on our rule keeping as if it's going to save us, then we've just replicated the Pharisee, or or we're replicating the Jansenism that had affected the church three hundred years ago, and we will not be able to come to Christ in that humility. We'll be like that. That Pharisee who went to the the synagogue and was praying, uh, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men, and even if we don't say it, all oh, right, we'll feel it. We'll feel like, ah, you know, thanks that I'm not like, uh, you know, this bum on the street, and and one if we have a, even a touch of that, I don't think we'll be able to to come to Christ in the way we must.
1: Thank you for sharing, Malcolm. Um, great, great points. I I was thinking of or reminded of the parable of the prodigal son in relationship to what you were saying and to the Pharisee versus the tax collector. Uh, Why? Because I think often um, we want to associate with the prodigal son, but many of us actually tend to be more like the elder brother in the story who finds himself complaining, resentful, um, you know, outside of the father's house when the feast was going on in the house for the return of his younger brother. And it's like the older brother perhaps um, went through the motions and did things right, maybe followed the rules to some degree, but something was obviously lacking in his heart and that he did not share the heart of his father for the love of his brother. And I think, you know, even to to make this more concrete, like you were bringing up the many homeless people in our society who struggle with addiction um, and various issues. um, They, in in the midst of their misery often many of them have a deep faith and a relationship with God and know that he's he's with them and trust in that and and trust in his love whereas so many of us we have this outer covering we look really good we're wearing our um nice clothes and very rarely take the time to actually sit down with somebody on the street who is looking for some consolation. I I was reading about Pope Francis, and he was sharing of this photograph that went viral in Italy that featured the word indifference. And in the photograph, it um, was showing a woman in her fur coat, very nicely dressed, had a um, uh, a nice appearance according to our standards, and she was coming out of a restaurant. And right at the door of the restaurant was a homeless person, uh, a woman who was holding out her hands to receive something from this woman, but that woman was looking away and walking away. And it's something that Pope Francis has been repeating throughout his papacy is a a culture that we live in of indifference, and it's almost like a a Pharisaical culture in which We don't want anything to do with those sinners who are obviously um, wretched and uh, anyhow, you know, probably not saved. And we um, we focus on ourselves. You know, we focus on our own self-righteousness, but of which we we definitely fall short. For me, a lot of this is leading to this need for us to encounter you know as as Pope Francis says the misery on the peripheries you know life on the existential peripheries because i think that life can awaken in us um a solidarity with those other people and a recognition like you mentioned Malcolm that i am no greater than this person but that certain circumstances led him to where he is now and if i were in those in his shoes at that time perhaps I would have fared worse. None of us can judge. We really are not in a position to judge um, where people are at and where they came from and how they ended up where they are now. And also that this person may not become a greater saint than any of us. I mean, how about uh, St. Benedict Joseph Labre who lived as a homeless pilgrim, um, just like other homeless but spent all his time in prayer so I guess um yeah I, I there's a lot to take away from this conversation, Malcolm. I think we could probably continue a lot of these themes um but one that one that comes to mind is our need to embrace embrace those who are in need of God's mercy and in doing so receiving God's mercy for ourselves as well.
0: Peter, I'm glad you brought up the idea about going out to the peripheries to have pity and sympathy and solidarity with those on the margins of society. Because in our next podcast, we're going to be covering um, the difference between the message of the gospel and the kinds of attitudes that can lead to a cult. We've covered that um, briefly in, in various episodes, because if we're trying to build a community of love, there's always the the flip side the dark possibility that we could create a society of fear and control instead the cult and one of the ways that a cult can come is if we have this pharisaical mentality that our group is the are the good guys and everybody outside are the bad guys that will almost certainly lead to a cult like dynamic so thanks so much uh, Peter for joining me today. It was a great conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Malcolm. It was a blessing to be here with you.
0: Thanks again. And everyone watch for our next podcast in two weeks time.